Hello, horror fans. Welcome back to Selling the Scream. My name is Jed Donaldson. I'm one of your hosts. Joining me today, as always, my co-host, Josh Yoakum. I also affectionately refer to him as the Human Lament Configuration. Uh, how you doing, Josh? Uh, I, I'm, I'm doing well. I, I have uh, such podcasts to do with you. <laughs> well, at least one. <laughs> <laughs> how, how are you doing? Ah, you know, I'm here, you know. Some days good, some days bad. Today I'm just here. Okay. That's uh that's that's a place to be. <laughs> no place I'd rather be. <laughs> yeah, um so uh long-time listeners might especially the our, our hardcore audiophile folks, the folks who really dig into the nuts and bolts of the the, the sines and cosines and wavelengths of each episode, might as I have a different sound about me i'm in a i'm in a new space i, I did some moving hence the d- delay on this episode um and my bones are still uh recovering from that there's they're they're I, I think they're supposed to come back to being solid at some point <laughs> yeah the uh the flesh betrays when you start to get a little older <laughs> yeah yeah i i keep forgetting that, like o- older and fatter i only go in one direction that's yeah. you know, <laughs> And nothing I can do about either one of those things. I mean, you joke, but <laughs> <laughs> at, at least one of those things, there literally is nothing you can do about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if we get the those this, these these good folks in QAnon have been telling me about the folks in Hollywood being able to reverse reverse their aging process, and they just with one secret ingredient. I, I'm hoping to find out what that is. Um, release that information and make a lot of money. <laughs> you'd, you'd think, um, but you know, JFK doesn't, Junior doesn't want to do that yet. He's he's coming back any day now. <laughs> yeah, what a jerk. <laughs> um, you've been you've been up to anything else this this fine summer? Yeah. No, I haven't haven't been up to too too terribly much. Uh, just trying not to cook in my own juices in this ungodly heat we've got going on. Yeah, it's it's nearly like 80 here. It's, uh, I feel you. It's uh... nearly 80. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got uh, radio guys telling me about how it's, you know, it's 95 degrees today, but feels more like 113. <laughs> <laughs> feels like the surface of the sun. And that's in the uh, shade. Yeah, no, it sucks. Yeah, but, you're on that you're on that planet from the, the the pitch black sequel where they have to run from shade to shade to get away from the angry sun in the sky. <laughs> that movie ruined my enjoyment of that series. It may have ruined Vin Diesel for me. <laughs> we we can't lose a fight with them. <laughs> it's, it's, it's in its contract. Be careful, Jet. Um, but yeah, do we do we talk about uh angry sun? movie is trying to destroy Vin Diesel here. <laughs> that was a brilliant segue. I, I mean, as, as as great as they're going to be in this mental state I'm in right now. Fair, man. fair, fair, fair. fair. Uh, no, no, those that is not in fact what we talk about. We do, however, talk about horror movies, uh, specifically ones that Josh has put together in a list in an attempt to make me into a fan of the genre. Uh, I think I'm kind of on the way there uh, maybe maybe even closer to there than not there at this point uh yeah, we, seen a lot of a lot of decent stuff and some other stuff too 
<laughs> we may have to like retool the the premise of a, like a hair a, a horror like initiates or a <laughs> yeah yeah I don't feel journeyman. like much of a neophyte now that I've seen so many of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're we're doing uh, one that's pretty near and dear to me. We've done uh, one other Clive Barker written thing, but this is the, our first Clive Barker written and directed piece, Hellraiser, as mm-hmm. as uh, debut. Heck yeah. Uh, I maybe have mentioned this on the show before, but I, I've read some Clive Barker stuff and I was a little surprised that, you know, being a friend of yours through high school and stuff that I hadn't actually seen Hellraiser since uh, <laughs> you were much more into Barker than I was at that, at that time. And this sort of seemed like the sort of thing I would have been forced to endure. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, as as the listeners of the show might be aware, I am somebody that in, inflicts my tastes upon others. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I, my my first experience with Clive Barker, I, I I think I talked in our pilot a little bit about like you know kind of my beginnings of liking uh, horror and starting to watch some of the Friday the Thirteenth movies, maybe like a Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, you know, like it, it's testing the waters a bit. Um, and then at a like cutout book sale, um, and I was 10 years old, I picked up the Hellbound Heart, and um, which was what Hellraiser is based on. Mm-hmm. Um, fell in love, not a novel for 10 year olds, <laughs> parents, parents <laughs> of America. Of <laughs> <laughs> if you have a precocious reader <laughs> who's looking for adult material, you might want to consider maybe not that adult. <laughs> <laughs> just 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 be mindful <laughs> yeah. be aware be open be, have your eyes on your children know what they're doing <laughs> maybe how's, don't how's let that, them lead read clive parker <laughs> how's that book going son uh pretty good so far dad what's a speculum and like how how could it fit somewhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i i had i've read some come some clive barker stuff i I'm not even sure that I've seen movies based on his things, but I know I know I've read a. Uh, well, we did Candyman. We did, yeah, okay, we did do Candyman. That's that's true. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I've I've read a lot of his stuff, and uh, my wife is much less familiar with this, and she kind of was kicking around the idea of maybe watching this with me, and I said, I'm not I'm not sure that this is one that you're going to enjoy, and she was like. Well, I don't even really know what Clive Barker is, and I, I think I described it to her as uh, fuck gore. <laughs> <laughs> There's an element of that too, and I, I, I think, um, although it does paint Clive Barker, I think a little bit unfairly because I do think that's like one thing he does. <laughs> He's also written like children's books and you know the other things that are more traditional horror that aren't as like over the top splatter bodies on display as as like books of blood and, and hellraiser are yeah um well everything i've read is fuck gore <laughs> <laughs> um so he, he comes from from liverpool grew up like having the the, the the 50s uh kind of uh, started in theater so um was always like writing and in doing arts and he was also a visual artist um but was doing like experimental theater in like Liverpool and, and London. Um, 
was kind of known for being somebody who could like get a lot of other people on board for stuff like, Hey, I'm starting up an experimental theater company. Who's with me. Yeah. He also uh, may be relevant to kind of what he writes about and kind of the, the, the extremes he writes about that I was drawn to obviously as a, as a, as a teen, I'm an acolyte of his, but uh he did some like sex work on the side and was kind of, you know, exploring like S and M clubs and stuff. And that's where a lot of Hellbound heart comes from is his experience in like, you know, underground gay S and M clubs in the eighties mm-hmm. in like New York and London. Um, so much so that when they had to like, they were going to change the title, they, they Hellbound heart couldn't work for the movie. Um, his initial pitch was sadomasochist from hell. <laughs> it doesn't I mean it doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> um but he, he really had no intention. He was just writing and doing theater. He had no intention of doing film at all. Um and then two of his stories got made into movies and he hated them. He hated them so much. <laughs> um Rawhead Rex and uh Transmutations from Books of Blood got uh, adapted by the same guy and I, I haven't seen Transmutation yet. Rawhead Rex is fine. Misses the point of the story, so I can see the writer getting very That's upset about suck that. To be like, I mean, you you got to think that the guy who wanted to make those movies was like a fan of this guy's work, right? He's a fan of Barker's work, and then yeah. to hear that the the guy whose work you appreciate and, and enjoy enough to to go out and do all that work to put it onto film just hates what you did to it. <laughs> That's got to feel almost like a personal attack, right? So much so that he just like, well, I can do it better myself. <laughs> um, so, so Hellbound Heart was actually written expressly to be turned into a movie. Um, and that's why it like all takes place in one location. Excuse me, being like budget conscious about it um, and figured with just the folks that he knew, he could get some some pretty good effects. Um, ended up getting some pretty great ones because he you know, kind of brought some people aboard, like on spec, like, Hey, we're going to get money for this. Will you start designing stuff for me? Um, so like Bob Keen, who was like a British makeup effects guy, like put together like this team of kids who were all like young and raised on the video nasties. And we're like, yeah, let's, let's brainstorm and do all this and the money will come later. So they had yeah, these, I, these designs like right out the gate. I, I did notice that watching, I, I, wrote down you know some of these practical effects are better than others but the good stuff is real good oh yeah we'll, we'll get into some sequences um so i, I kind of i'm kind of curious too like i know just like my own taste inflicted on you in high school kind of exposed you to, to to barker um did you have like kind of awareness of who he was before that just like i'm sure you probably knew what hellraiser was but, yeah um, i mean i think that's just kind of that superficial level of Kind of like, you know, I know who Jason is. I know who Freddy is. I know who (laughs) Pinhead is. Um, But beyond that, not really. Got it. Um, Like, you ended up, like, reading a decent amount of it. I'm I'm sort of curious, like, I I can say, like, what drew me to it and kind of what I like about his work. I'm curious. Like, it's very imaginative. I can. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, is there a favorite of his that you have? Or is there stuff that stands out to you as being... Um, kind of exceptional I, from that time. 
I think probably the first thing of his that I read that I I think I read because you were reading it or were talking about it was uh, Imagica, maybe? Yeah, like one of his giant, more fantasy-oriented yeah. ones. Um, like interdimensional worlds and stuff. I've always I've always been into like fantasy. That's like still my preferred genre if I'm going to read or watch something. I, I, I really dig that sort of setting. Um, and he was doing stuff with it. Like he mixes the like eroticism and the and the um, like horror aspects in ways that I hadn't really seen before. Um, but I mean, like you, I was I was a voracious reader when I was young and I was I was reading anything I could get my hands on at a pace that was like I would read the same book like three or four times <laughs> just yeah. because I wanted to read. Remember um, having that much time? Do you remember being able to just like? I don't. Yeah, that's that seems crazy to me. Like, how could I ever have done that? <laughs> um, but yeah, like having read so much and then seeing this that was like so different from what I had been used to. It is is like super imaginative too, and and um, the, like the the way he described things. It's been a long time since I've read a Magica, um, but. Yeah. So really, really descriptive passages of like, like almost body horror mixed with the like sexuality stuff yeah. really kind of, I'm not into that stuff like for real in my personal life. I want to go there, <laughs> but like reading about it just kind of, it kind of shocked me in a way that I hadn't been shocked before. Well, I was kind of thinking about this earlier and I, I think really kind of what, I love so much about him uh, as a writer is that like um, he's kind of talked about like, and this is almost cliche now, but um, that like for him, like every character has to have a secret. Mm-hmm. Um, so like he, yeah, he writes about the freaky sex demons. They also writes around about like very compelling and kind of like real people to ground that stuff around. And then sometimes you get the magic where like the real compelling, nice people are also the freaky sex demons. And you're kind of like with it. <laughs> like, <Whoa>. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I get I get what this is about. Like I understand now. <laughs> yeah, I mean it it doesn't hurt that you know I was a teenager at the time and hormones being what they are, anything yeah. that has sex in it is automatically going to be a little more interesting than it might otherwise be. Yeah, yeah, a, um, a lot more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely recommend folks if um especially if like your only exposure if if like your only exposure to Clive Barker is like the stuff they've made like the big movies like the Hellraiser and stuff. Um, I, some of his other stuff, like, um, like thief of always is actually like a really good children's book. Um, great and secret show is another like giant epic magic yeah. fantasy. That's got oh. this stuff kind of mixed into it. Great and secret show and a magic are like, like part one and two of a series, aren't they? Like they're no, they, they, they backwards. They, are they related? They over, in some way? They're, it's kind of like that Stephen King thing where like magic kind of works the same in it in them so there's like there's shared language uh there's a book called everville that's the sequel to um, great and secret show that's what i was thinking of yeah okay yeah um but yeah shout out shout out to, to read his stuff but for for I this movie i just yeah. recently well recently like in the past like 10 years uh read we world oh yeah that's another fun one too yeah um the um so they start shooting with this like modest budget 
around Hellraiser. And eventually, New World Pictures, uh, Roger Corman's no longer there, unfortunately. I can't make, I can't circle that square from Piranha to, to come over and talk no, about no. Corman again. No, um, but they, they, they end up producing it for a, about a million pounds, which at the time was about $2 million. Um, but they had a few demands. Um, it was originally going to have like a, a like industrial experimental electronic score by the band Coil. Uh, they said no. This is this is a movie. You're getting like a composer, and you're writing or, like a regular score. Um, which I, I like the score of this movie. It's it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I, think I, maybe. I think the like I think an electronic score could have worked with like some of the themes and stuff. But I I I said this you know before we started recording that this movie was not as horny as I expected it to be, even what I know about the man. Um, <laughs> And it really did kind of surprise me that the like the Cenobites and Pinhead did not have as much to do in this movie as I kind of thought that they would. Oh yeah, we're 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 gonna talk about that for sure. <laughs> that because is a, like that a, is a... like an electronic industrial soundtrack would really work for them, but they're only in the movie for like ten minutes tops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're they're like they're facilitators to the action. They're not they're not the they're not the driving force of the story. They're like yeah. they're the genie. They're not the person that makes the wish. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's uh, but I, but I think that you can see that this because you have such brilliant young minds and like set design and stuff. This movie looks like a lot more than two two million dollars. Like that they, they stretch mm-hmm. the budget really yeah. far on this movie with some insane practical effects. Um, they, uh, <laughs> the latex and, uh, KY jelly mix that they had to like slather around on everything to make it like damp and gooey, <laughs> affectionately re- referred to by Barker as elephant cum. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if it fits. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they switched out the score. Um, they also had to, uh, it was originally just, it was filming in London, um, in like a suburban neighborhood. It needed to be set and it was, it was set in London. They, they demanded that it be like set in America. So instead you get this like real vague, where the fuck is this movie set feeling about it? Cause they keep talking of like half the people have British accents, half don't half of them, like yeah, some of them I, are poorly dubbed. <laughs> I don't know that I, I don't know that I noticed that during my watch but like now that you say it it really it really is kind of odd (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's uh you you have your in your head like uh, oh we're in we're obviously in england all the houses look british all the, the like half the actors are british um but then it like Somebody will show up like wearing a New York Yankees hat and just be like, "You all right, fella?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. No. But they talk about it being like their ancestral home, but it's the the American character. <laughs> like, wait, huh? That's not that's not a thing here. <laughs> um, one way he was really uh, able to save a lot is just in the casting process, because a lot of the folks who are in this movie are the people who are in this theater company. Like uh, D- Doug Bradley's Pinhead is a, a lead actor that he used all the time in his theater productions. Um, sure. uh, the the joke that got turned into like people reporting it as fact is that uh, Clive Barker told Doug Bradley 
that he could either be the lead Cenobite or he could be mover number two and that it was his choice. Which <laughs> it's a hard sell. <laughs> <laughs> I think he would have killed it as mover number two, to be fair. <laughs> um but like a lot of the other folks, like the people behind the latex, the movers are basically like Everybody who's not like a lead in this movie is from his theater company. Um, the uh, our, our our female lead Claire Higgins as uh, Julia Cotton. Um, she's not really a film actress, but she's in the Royal Shakespeare Company, and Clive Barker just like kind of charmed her into doing this. Was just like, you know, she hates she hates horror. <laughs> she's got a, she's got a bit of stuff to work with. I mean, the the part is not like overly written but i mean there's a lot of stuff going on behind like it, mentally in her head to to get across yeah and I, I mean she's also just got like a very you know severe like wicked stepmother look already yeah. and then just like this movie leans into that so hard with like the, that right. kind of fairy tale trope stuff um I, i'm just saying i could i could see what the appeal would be to someone who typically wouldn't take on a role like this yeah, and I can see like Barker kind of making that pitch. Like, no, it's it it's basically is Shakespeare. It's <laughs> your Lady Macbeth. Like, <laughs> um, Andrew Robinson as uh, Larry Cotton, um, originally Rory back when he was British. <laughs> um, he uh, was in sure the... not Japanese. <laughs> he was in the uh, original Dirty Harry. He was the villain in that. He was the the Scorpio killer. Um, which I I haven't watched in a long time. I remember him being really great in that, but it was kind of one of those things where he just got typecast after that. So yeah, like he seemed vaguely familiar to me, but I couldn't put my finger on anything that I've seen him in. He's also, he was on like a spark star Trek, deep space nine, which, um, boy, like for character actors, like if, if you're committed to like working those, like those touring, like convention center dates, like, I think you could be like the worst character on the worst Star Trek show and still like be charging like a hundred dollars a headshot, <laughs> living the life of a king. I, I don't know that I'd go that far. <laughs> a king of a small, small country. <laughs> it's, some of us have modest demands, Jen. <laughs> our, our other lead was actually a fairly new actress, um, as Kirsty Cotton. Um, Ashley Lawrence only been like on a, an episode of Highway to Heaven, um, which is fine. She's fine in this. Uh, she's you know she's the, our our young innocent lead, and I think she does better work in, in Hellraiser too. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that <laughs> um, eventually. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> um, I'm kind of curious, like what you thought of the like. You mentioned the Cenobites not being in it that much. Like, were you expecting it to feel like this much like a uh, dangerous brother lifetime original movie? Like the the che- <laughs> cheating wife, innocent daughter? <laughs> yeah, no, that, I mean, there was a... It really does do that movie for a large chunk of it. Like, you have the beginning where, you know, the brother's clearly looking for something and gets mixed up into this something that's maybe more than he thought it was going to be. And then, you know, we have the obvious supernatural stuff right at the beginning. And then it turns into exactly what you just said for a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's even 
like got kind of that like gauzy look to it, like a lifetime movie. Yeah. It's, it's all soft focus. <laughs> um, I, I, talking about the Cenobites too, it's like, I think the other thing that I just, in really frustrated Clive Barker is just um, how much just front and center, like Pinhead in particular was, and especially like that name being used when he did not name him that. Um, which seems like a weird thing to also say to Doug Bradley. Like, I'm, I, I resent that you're so popular for this character helped develop, but... Um, I, I would say that there's, like, a, a couple different things that kind of work in his favor. He's... I mean, he's got a really striking look. Yeah. Uh, like, the nails all over his head is it's pretty good. It's also a look that enables him to still act. Yeah, speak... Like, <laughs> you want to talk about yeah you want to talk about like the, the other people who are there as Cenobites. Uh, yeah, let's. Uh, I was planning on doing a segment where we just do our like our our Tiger Beat, who's our favorite Cenobite. We just have our lay down on a bed, face down with the <laughs> magazine open, kick feet kicked up. Yeah, those <laughs> <was> Cenobite things. <laughs> so we got we got our four main Cenobites, and then like the the. The hallway weird upside monster. down hallway that monster. Shit, that shit's up sometimes. Um, so let's, 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 we're starting. We're starting with Pinhead. So uh, named the lead Cenobite, also like referred to as like the Hell Priest or the Engineer. Uh, not named really in the in the in the book. Um, I also I don't know if I I don't know where I saw this. Isn't wasn't Pinhead supposed to be like far more androgynous than this? Like it was supposed to be unclear whether or not he was a man or a woman. Yeah, just in general, which makes the the casting for the the movie that's coming out on Hulu with uh, Jamie Clayton from Sense8 is like a pretty pretty awesome move. Um, casting like a, a, a trans actress in that role. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of the idea of them is that they've kind of moved beyond restri- our restrictions of what a person or a, an entity right. could be. They're they're because genderless. One of the other Cenobites, I think, with that in mind, I would have pictured Pinhead kind of being that, like the 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 one who basically looks like a female. I kind of yeah. Refer to it in the credits like, as female Cenobite. Yeah, like <laughs> so. maybe that would have been more close to the original vision. Yeah, and I think most people know, like uh, they, these just all look like beings, like warped with it's like all leather and and mm-hmm. there's some sort of like torture right residue different on them things piercing their skin in different places and uh different sorts of modifications yes body modifications yeah so pinhead's got the rows of of nails on his head he's got like the his robe that he wears that's like woven into his own skin on the like yeah. the chest portion um, the, the, the female Cenobite you're referring to, uh, she has her, uh, like a wire piece in her cheeks holding, uh, open her throat, which has been like vivisected into like a vagina shape. <laughs> so she's yes. got like this, um, you know, there's, there's sex stuff in this movie. You don't have to look. Don't I, there, no, there, there absolutely is. I just, it is not as horny as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, we got Butterball is, uh, also known as the surgeon, um, He's got a, a good look. Actually, like a very small actor playing Butterball, so just buried under latex. I was going to say, it looks like they just piled shit on him. 
<laughs> just like all melted together and eventually you see his eyes are sewn shut and stuff um and then you got the uh the chatterer uh who's yeah. basically just has the the mouth and teeth and all his other features are just like melted and obscured as chattering his teeth like, together if it wasn't if it wasn't pinhead i would say that the chatterer is probably the one that stands out the most but i also see you know like i said pinhead actually has the ability to to act <laughs> in addition yeah. to just being the feature <laughs> but the the chatterer is a it's a pretty strong visual I, I think I also thought you might like the chatterer just because like the chatterer when you first meet people you like to put your fingers in their mouth just, all right know, yeah no gonna... I can see I can see why you might get that <laughs> he, he's just gonna do it it's just this, it's kind of his thing you know people some people do the cheese just let kiss. him finish <laughs> <laughs> and then the uh the engineer is the upside down scorpion tail baby monster that just lives in the one hallway. <laughs> So he like actually is part of the crew. He's not just like their pet, like a watchdog. I think he's just he actually kind of might be in charge from sort of operating things from behind the scenes. <laughs> he is the last one that's vanquished. So. That's true. When when it came down to the end, uh, the end game here of the movie, I was surprised that Pin has like, like the first one to be banished. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, he just he, he beefs it pretty quick. Um but it kind of brings me to the to the thing in this movie is that like they're these characters that aren't really like the villains like they're not great they're like they're, they're, they're they clearly want to do bad stuff <laughs> but you like you also have to like come to them it's like, yes they're they're reacting to you yeah it's 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 the desire played out so really like our our driving villains of this our uh our julia who we've already talked about is claire higgins the, the shakespearean lady and then frank, frank who frank. yes frank my voice is not dubbed at all um <laughs> our the, the brother um who we come to find out they have uh this this history together and and he's been taken apart by the cenobites and is trying to get like like humpty dumpty get put back together again yeah um so yeah, are you ready to dive on in? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, so we're 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 starting off the uh, the action and uh, the the you know, exotic marketplace. We we have the same. Uh, if somebody's gonna buy a gremlin, I don't know. I was gonna say this this could have been the opening to Gremlins. <laughs> but we have the same opening and closing line here. Though, what's your pleasure, sir? Um. And then uh, this is our introduction to Frank, who is seeking new experience. Um, and he uh, borrows some candles from Carrie's mom, <laughs> goes up into his <laughs> attic, uh, opens up the box. And like you said, like right up top, uh, we start strong and we get he's he is torn apart. His face getting put back together, uh, spinning pillar with parts on it. <laughs> Like chains everywhere, yeah. uh, chains and hooks, lots of chains and hooks. Yeah, I mean, we all you you talk about the like the geography of a movie often, and uh, I was a little little confused here about the geography of this, where Hell. the chains attached the pillars and like the hooks came off the the pillars and hooked into them and then pulled those, or do you think like they picked up the pieces and kind of just hung them there afterwards? I mean, I, I think it's really they will meet you halfway. They want like the chain dungeon. 
in your mind, they're gonna they're gonna they might walk you through some cold hard facts of reality, like, hey, can't hang a chain on another chain. We've been trying it for years, <laughs> but it's gotta it's gotta be mounted somewhere. But yeah. where you need the pillar to be to to like pull your penis apart, we'll work with you. <laughs> That'll be. <laughs> Do you think this is like the the thing they go to like their go to? They they hit this one first for everybody, or was this him specifically? Um. Th- Further in the series, they seem to be big on the hooks and the chains. I don't, I don't know. Uh, okay. There's the the further accommodations yep. <laughs> tend to be a now, bit more personalized. But now, what start... part of this is pleasure? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, as I said up top, Clive Barker spent quite a bit of time in S and M clubs, so yeah. the, those well, I mean, lines, think... those lines for him might be a little bit more blurred than I they think... are for others. I can. Like I said, not my bag, baby, but I can see the lines being blurred. You know, I've seen like hooks and, and like cutting and things like that to just have the sensation or whatever. But it feels like when you go right to tearing a body apart, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's a limited experience. And I they describe the They describe it as more than that to me. <laughs> I think that's kind of what I was getting getting from this was that they will they'll show you things that are beyond what you could experience on Earth. And it feels like they just tore them to pieces. Well, so I, I don't know. Maybe it's a little buyer beware, but also a little bit of false advertising. <laughs> I think he's still conscious. I think he's still like he's still in pain. <laughs> he's still he's still being birthed into their realm of experience. Like, like they put the, they put his face back together for a reason. You just maybe that you just spend a little bit of time on the pillar until you're ready to move to your next stage of your hell journey. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we 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 meet our Cenobites, and then after that, we're we just get the well, we get our our uh, I, I should have mentioned up top our our credits are underlined, so that's how you know it's based on a book. It's yeah, it's, <laughs> it's very. <laughs> um. But it's it's the family moving in. This is like their their the mother's home that uh, that Frank took over uh, as one of his like hiding places. Again, this again where this movie is set could be fucking anywhere. <laughs> um, uh, Larry and Julia are moving in. We know that Julia does they don't like Brooklyn, so it's not Brooklyn. We, we can rule that one out. <laughs> They're definitely not in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> and like Larry, I, I think in the like my first watching, I just immediately picked up on how cold Julia was. But like on subsequent reviewings, like Larry is really trying to tell her, sell her like a shit Sunday in this house. Like there's just like yeah, it's like covered a, in cockroaches, falling apart. <laughs> it's not exactly you know one that you fall in love with. <laughs> Wait till you see the sunroom. <laughs> <laughs> the rotting, the rotting food in there gives it a certain je ne sais quoi. Um, but yeah, they uh, they're back in her old stomping ground again, unclear. Uh, and as they start to kind of go through things, and and we find out that uh, uh, Larry also has a daughter who is also in town for reasons and has gotten yeah she instead of living she, with them she came to town for like you said reasons um <laughs> is not going to stay with her 
parents or dad and stepmom, but got her own place and is looking for a job. So maybe she's here long term. <laughs> yeah, she's she's she moved into this town for their lucrative uh, pet food or pet store. <laughs> well, pet food, that's that's. <laughs> That's a slip of the tongue, I suppose. <laughs> um, I think my favorite bit of Christie's introduction is when, like, we just have an extended scene of her wandering around down by the docks, hoping a, a foreigner video breaks out. Like, <laughs> I know I saw those guys down here. <laughs> Come out. Where are you? Um, he, yeah, the, like. I love this movie quite a bit. Uh, anytime like Christie's plot comes up before the end of the movie, it's it's they're just they're giving her something to do. <laughs> like, yeah, just... that's that was kind of my take on her character. Like until until it becomes necessary for her to move the plot forward, she is literally just hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> well, they try to in- introduce like a romance subplot into it. It would, oh, can it would, we talk about? I mean, oh, I'm gonna jump right to the end of this movie. That boyfriend is fucking unflappable. <laughs> you say unflappable, I say a department store mannequin that was brought to life by an also, enchanted hat. <laughs> hey, you know what though? Mannequins known for their unflappability. <laughs> a, a, a character so useless to the 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 whole arc of this movie that the uh, Wikipedia plot summary doesn't introduce him until like three sentences from the end <laughs> when they have to say like somebody shows up to help her. <laughs> right. Yeah. It could have been anyone and anyone probably would have given a better performance than this guy. Well, this guy, I, I think he was hired just because he could do that cigarette trick. Like, just because he could, like, Which, put a, I put mean, a lit cigarette Which, I mean, obviously, you himself. couldn't have this movie without that. <laughs> um, so, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Christy a little bit more once we kind of get towards, like, the end of this movie. Um, the other, like, subplot that's important with Christy... Uh, Kirsty that comes up uh, before the end is that she runs into Rob Zombie a few times, just living fast and eating bugs like an endless poetry. Um, I called him him Cricket Joe in my (laughs) notes. What was his deal? (laughs) You know, he's just uh, out here burning through the the witches and digging those ditches. (laughs) I mean, like, they kind of intimated that he was connected. Well, they directly show that he's connected to it at the very end of the movie. But why was he fascinated with Kirsty to begin with? Eh, movie's gonna have some parts in it, man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> there, needs be, there needs to be stuff that happens. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, fair. All right. You know what? I didn't think about the fact that stuff has to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. What what gets our, our our plot in motion here is that uh, Julia has had a clandestine brief affair with with Frank. Um, she finds like the photos of him with many other women, and it's, like you know keeps one and tears out the other. Was woman it many other women, or was it the same woman a bunch of times? <laughs> I think uh, Frank doesn't strike me as into monogamy, which is why <laughs> I thought it was weird that he had a whole bunch of pictures of him with the same girl. <laughs> 
Um, I think it's I think it's various folks. Um, they, they Are just, you saying that I'm racist and I just can't tell the difference between Thai prostitutes? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, she she holds on to that. We get a little bit of a flashback to uh, you know Frank showing up before the wedding and and Larry's not there and he's out in the rain and Julia basically just saying like, why don't you just come inside? We're both soaking wet. <laughs> you beat me to it. <laughs> you know, just low hanging fruit, man. It's, uh... <laughs> yeah, she was. She's the thirstiest thing in this movie. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, one of the other proposed by the crew uh, titles for this movie was the the makeup woman suggesting uh, what a woman will do for a good fuck. So... <laughs> You know, it's a bit of a mouthful, but uh, I like it. That's what she said. <laughs> so here's an insane MPA thing about this movie. Uh, they told Clive Barker that he couldn't have, uh, during this sex scene, this flashback of you know, her getting like fucked on, like, on the bed next to her wedding dress by her future brother-in-law, uh, that they could have t- uh, two buttocks thrusts instead of three. So in that cut, uh, Clive Barker put him him, him pulling out the oh, knife. The fucking Hingle McCringleberry rule. <laughs> Real thing. Real. <laughs> Three butt thrust. That's that's just gratuitous. That's <laughs> we get the idea. You're gonna get that flag. <laughs> um, but the uh. They, they're moving in the mattress, uh, and Larry cuts his hand open on a nail, which, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, this this made me squirm more than, like, anything else in this movie, and this is a movie that has people being ripped apart by chains with hooks on them. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, just n- nail tearing into, like, the... the flap of skin between like the thumb and the forefinger. I'm trying they... to imagine how much pressure those two movers were putting on that mattress <laughs> to have that nail just fillet his hand like that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty grody. And, uh, you know, to counter the counterpoint of Julia daydreaming about this, like rugged st- stubble hunk who like, you know, you call him a stubble hump, stu- stubble hunk. I like stubble hump better. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. A rugged uh, stubble hump. <laughs> that, that uh, her husband comes in going, ooh, owie, owie, oh, please kiss it, oh, please make it better. <laughs> I, I do think that they laid that stuff on a little thick, like just showing the differences between Frank and, uh, and Larry. <laughs> <laughs> Although if I tore my hand open like that, I think I'd be going to my wife that way too. Oh no, I'm gonna be making fun of Larry quite a bit. I am way closer to a Larry than a Frank, my friend. <laughs> I know this about myself. <laughs> um, but the the blood gets all over the floor in the attic where where Frank was torn apart with these uh, demon chains. And uh, what'd you think of this effect sequence? It's Just fucking. Bananas. <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's like it, the, the blood going down below the floorboards. Um, it's this is all crazy like how good it is. 
Yeah, it is. It's it's nuts. It's it's Frank reconstituting his like body from uh, the blood that was dropped. When I say body, just I mean like skeleton and brain, and it's like yeah, it's like all done in yeah, it's it's all done in reverse with like melting wax over models. So it's like they build the the arc over to the brain first, and then they like melt that so it pops back off, and then just show it backwards. Um, but looks phenomenal and the psych yowl he gives at the end it's crazy it is crazy looking one of the cra- more crazy looking things i've ever seen yeah it's it's i i would put it up there in like top three or four like practical effect scenes that we've covered on this show so far it's it's and it bon- looks nasty as hell <laughs> it does and they, they like how they film it with like going below the floorboards and stuff too that I feel like it's that's one of the few sequences I like this movie a lot, but I like Clive Barker's writing more than his directing because I feel yeah. like his writing feels more like that. It feels like you're kind of peeling things back and like seeing this like grisly underneath thing. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it, it felt as descriptive as his writing. So. <laughs> high praise. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a nut scene. Um. So they have a little little reunion between between uh Frank and Julia and Don't hey, me. <laughs> again like use useful for retail situations as well. <laughs> Just <laughs> the, like the makeup effects here are fucking crazy too. He yeah, looks, they go through a lot of stages. He looks great. Every yeah. time you see him, he looks worse and worse. <laughs> well, He's, you know, he's becoming more human, but it's like he's becoming gross in different ways. Like he's getting his muscle laid back over top of him. Um, They basically cast this actor who's in the suit just because he was so thin that they could just layer prosthetics on him as needed. So still still dubbed with the same, it's Frank (laughs) voice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which does not look like it suits either actor. (laughs) not particularly but whatever (laughs) gotta do what you gotta do to fake fake being in is it canada i mean that's like kind of british american right that's like smush those together (laughs) i think it's it's the same place where they started off uh jason takes manhattan (laughs) (laughs) um so they come up with this plan where julie is going to go out and bring men back uh, into the attic um, and participate in murdering them so that Frank can drain their essence. Um, She'd do anything for him. Yes. See, like This is one of those things, like, I expected there to be, like, sexy stuff with her and Frank even, like, before he got skin back. Yeah, that's... Um, maybe, you know, that was a Marty McFly moment where he started, like storyboarding that and it's like well you're you know your kids are gonna laugh um yeah in um i love that like the murder weapon of choice is like, the hammer that's just like in the holster on the wall that's getting covered up <laughs> well i i think she just hung a hammer from a nail that was sticking out of the wall i don't think that's that crazy josh <laughs> it's like the it's the place that like they that becomes the ritual though it's all done the same way and like yeah. the um I also love that she like her her like she's got three looks in this movie she's got like the 
the innocent bride to be look when she's seduced by Frank where her hair's all down and it's long. And then she's got like a uh, real estate agent that you don't really trust, like her, her, her normal housewife look. And then she goes like even bigger for seduction where she's like her, the eviler she, she gets, the hair just keeps getting bigger and bigger. It gets more eighties. <laughs> Bring me Aquanets. <laughs> um, which we, we get these, uh, the, these sequences of, of murders here. They're also, I think pretty fucking practical effects. Gross. Like people getting their teeth knocked out and their face. Yeah, all fucked no, up. Like I said, not all of the practical effects are as good as all the rest of them, but they're all good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I will say that I did not care for the fact that, uh, they had to make it so that, the guys she was bringing back to murder um, had it coming in some small way. Like every person that she brought back, except for like the very last one, like they had to kind of make it a point to, to have it seem like, oh, well, they're not exactly angels. <laughs> they're no angels. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, it couldn't just be that this terrible thing is happening because she's out of control and will do anything for this guy who's a monster. I don't know. Like, they're also like white dudes. We, we, we like, as a rule, generally kind of suck. Like, I, I don't think it's, the, you don't have to throw a stone too, too far. That's what I'm saying, though. Find like, a it's, shitty white it's dude a, to bring home. It's a given. You don't need to put it out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe there's just that, that last guy, it's also showing, like, because she, she does have a progression where she's finding it, like, difficult the first time and then is, like, by the last, like, into it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. Like Frank is pulling her into his world. Mm-hmm. No, it's um, it's pretty well done. And then you know, all this going on like underneath Larry's nose, and they're they're even having some you know scenes where he's like coming down to watch them together, like from the closet and yeah. stuff too. Like, uh, I just I think that house would have fucking stunk to high heaven after she got <laughs> the three bodies stuffed in a closet. <laughs> Nobody commented on the smell. I don't know, man. It's also like the we've done the we've done the Friday the Thirteenth movies enough. Like nobody ever is like, ah, well, we're here to camp, and what the fuck smells like a dead fish? <laughs> like, well, I, mean, I will, you know what? I will, <laughs> I will defend the Friday the Thirteenth movies in in this one instance, is that Jason tends to go on his rampages over the course of like a day or two, not weeks, not several weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but with yes, this with this third one, our, our plot lines kind of come together. I, I say plot lines loosely because one main plot line and then whatever the fucking movie Kirstie's in, where <laughs> Rob Zombie's coming into her pet store and eating bugs, eating crickets <laughs> by the fistful. <laughs> it's really not that big of a deal. Most other countries do it. You'll value the protein in the near future. <laughs> um. She comes to like back to hear the last murder. She can hear it from outside, and she goes in to investigate. Well, and, no, uh, I think what happens is she's she has a like a lunch with her dad, and her dad yeah. says, "I mean, maybe she doesn't want to leave the house. Maybe she's just lonely. She needs someone to talk to. Can you try to make friends?" And she goes over to check on her, and uh, sees her bringing this dude into the house. Just like. Well, I, I tried talking to my boyfriend, but he's just so dull unless you put the magic hat on him that brings him to life. <laughs> I can't tell the difference. <laughs> what's, what's crazy is, like, 
they do all this stuff like to show that they're kind of in a relationship, but the one time you see them together, like outside of the the main house, like they're in her apartment and he's sleeping on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's a um, an aspect of this that maybe we can talk about just a little bit where it's 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 really intentionally set up, and in the second movie subtext is made text where it's it's like a fairy tale it's the it's the wicked stepmother and the 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 good father and like the evil uncle it's this it's this family dynamic of yeah you know the 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 child with the adults trying to figure out their alignment and and allied against her manipulating her um so there's 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 that to it but um yeah it's (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when she comes back in and like this melted man is reaching out for help to try, try to <laughs> the the guy who uh uncle frank just dug his fingers into his neck and went <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's how, that's how frank do that's how that's, that's how frank gets his body back he uh and he's progressed like we've got kind of the bony frank and we got like the muscly frank um and, and you know much much like many of us uh Frank unleashes a, a catchphrase when he sees Kirstie again, which would prove to be like his uh, undoing. <laughs> yeah, fucking. When they gonna learn? To daddy. To daddy. <laughs> which um, made no sense. <laughs> well, I mean, there's the implication is that Frank is wanting to fuck Kirstie. <laughs> it's just. No, oh, I. I thought that was like that wasn't even like implied. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's just he's you're you've gotten so beautiful blah blah blah. um it's like wrestling around with her up in the up in the attic before uh the only thing that's in the room that she can like pick up and and use to defend herself is the the laments configuration this this puzzle box which she's just like oh no 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 (laughs) some lines were crossed (laughs) so where has this thing been like the entire movie like he had at the beginning and then it was just gone until it's not gone even um, Julia briefly picks it up before he warns her about it. So that's where we get a little bit of the exposition about um, that he was seeking like pleasures beyond the flesh. And, it was like, uh, yeah, the the doorway to the pleasures of heaven or hell, and he doesn't care which one. Yeah, before he kind of, he kind of explains a little bit what the Cenobites are, but that we're, we're going to let the Cenobites uh, speak for themselves here in just a moment because uh, uh, Kirsty. Her one-liners and her actions don't really match up that well, but essentially she she gets him gets him looking at the at the puzzle box, throws it out the window, runs outside and and picks it up and takes it with her. Uh, gets scorned by some nuns. Um, <laughs> yeah, they really give her the stink eye. <laughs> you would have thought <laughs> nuns would have been one to help someone who looked as out of it and lost in a hell in a hellraiser type situation. <laughs> <laughs> um. Before she w- wakes up in the hospital and she's been locked in. Another, is she like, super in a hospital? Is she in like a mental asylum? What's going on here with this hospital where the, the <laughs> nurses are just sitting in the room watching flowers bloom? <laughs> and the <laughs> yeah, doctors a... have her locked in until the police can talk to her for some reason? <laughs> I, what I fucking love here, too, is it's like, hey, like, uh, we, 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 we found you, like, clinging on to this. Uh, the police are going to want to talk to you about that. It's like, because I passed Why? out holding a box? <laughs> that box is wanted in, known, wanted in several felonies across multiple states. Um, but there's, a, I think they're 
tying visually this to her lot her loss of innocence her becoming a, a woman and not a girl with all right. the blooming flower stuff going on so you know if you're if you're bored Is locked that in a hospital that's all about cinema <laughs> <laughs> i never quite grasped it from health class <laughs> um if you're if you're locked in a in a hospital room with with the puzzle box what are you gonna do it's uh she just starts solving it and pink light starts coming out of it for her like we've seen like the blue light and that that maybe it's like this is fueled by the power of love um it's like there's like lightning bolts sometimes and i think when frank had it it kind of looked like little sperms and then (laughs) i don't know there's lots of different effects for this box i guess depending on what you do with it yeah um so she she solves it and a, a hallway opens like a like a bricked over. We're gonna see this kind of look in future Hellraiser installations too. The the their vision of hell as being sort of like uh, you know tunnels under Paris or something like it's just these bricked over t- straight tunnels that lead into infinity. Mm-hmm. Um, she she wanders inside it because you know why wouldn't you? She couldn't get out the door. <laughs> I think I'd be curious about the doorway that opened up in my wall. <laughs> um, this is where we meet the engineer. This uh, another, another kind of marvel of uh, practical effects where it's like, once you kind of know the trick of it is like pretty easy to see that it's just a guy like holding the, the feet that are on the walls, like running with this apparatus. Mm-hmm. Uh, down a hallway with it but like you, you got that dripping scorpion tail you got the weird malformed baby mouth and it is it, it all kind of kind of works it's a really strange looking creature yeah i think it is it is a little on the goofy side for me but um I, it's like creepy goofy yeah yeah it's it's that line of like <laughs> looks looks unreal enough um and then she gets back into the room. She's able to escape that. And then the Cenobites show up. Um, and this is where we get like pretty much all of like Pinhead's signature dialogue is like, you know, angels to some demons to others. Um, I, I like the, uh, no, no tears. It's a waste of good suffering. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, fucking rules. And it's like, we, we kind of learn that they're, they're more like, I, I mentioned like the, D and D nerd shit that, that they're like they're lawful evil. They're you know they're you you open this box we're gonna we're gonna fuck you up. It's like I have a bargain to make for you. Like, go on. <laughs> yeah, they're basically like a, they're like the executors of someone's will, basically. That <laughs> um, she knows that that Frank has escaped them and that she can bring Frank back to them. So they they accept the terms of this deal, even I, though like. They, but she doesn't really make a deal. She, it's like, it, like her intention is, I'm going to give you Frank because you had him once and he managed to escape, and you guys are going to let me go. And they basically said, yeah, take us to Frank, without yeah. ever signing off on the other part of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're still evil. Yeah. They still, they still, they still try for this. I would argue that like their try for for Kirsty at the end, sort of like, well. We're, contra- we're contractually obligated. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach out to try to grab you. <laughs> you think that was, that was like low energy, low effort. <laughs> like we gotta make an effort, guys. I mean, it also doesn't help that like 
two of them are in latex suits that render them blind and have to be like told where to go. You're saying they're not real? <laughs> you think these are costumes? It's a costume to you. It's a um, <laughs> um so so Kirsty ends up uh running back. She wants to save her dad. Um from she she saw I believe she saw that Julian was there too so she knows Ju- like kind of the there's something going on mm-hmm. um but at this point Larry Larry has been killed and, and Frank has taken his skin yeah uh, and Julie was against this happening at first yeah um but but you know I think acquiesced pretty pretty quickly too um I I do have a question here. Why didn't he just take someone else's skin if he was just going to skin him and put this on? I thought the whole thing was he was going to get his body back, not just a body. <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you, do you know how, how hell rules work? <laughs> I thought I had an idea, but. <laughs> back to the drawing board. Um, but no, he, he like he's he's wearing this. Well, the real reason for this is because. You get to have one Frank performance that's not like dubbed, <laughs> and you get to have like an, an actual actor do it. Face-off situation. Travolta <laughs> <laughs> pretending to be Cage. <laughs> but they they say no, like uh, we we actually we we know Frank's up there and we killed him. NBD. <laughs> don't no, like don't even get, get the cops in this. They see the skinned corpse and like. Uh, well, I mean, Frank's great and all, but we want the guy that did this. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That, that was apparently the first scene that they filmed with like the uh, with Pinhead's makeup on. Yeah. Um, and he like regrets to this day that they could never redo it because he didn't get the line read quite right. It's like we want the man who did this. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put the question mark on there. You'll know read anything we put there. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I, I think, uh, Andrew Robinson does some like awesome ad-libbing here and, uh, he, he came up with two lines. Um, first of all, like as Kirstie's kind of sort of figuring out that it's Frank because of, again, his catchphrase betrays him. Uh, he's the one who came up with the, like, let's stop with the cat and mouse shit. Um, before like, you know, going to have Julia hold her while he was going to stab her and drain her. But then he stabs Julia instead. It's just like, eh. Let's go with it. I'm nothing if not flexible. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, no hard feelings, babe. (laughs) You understand. I mean, yeah. (laughs) You got stabbed. (laughs) Yeah. We get get a little like uh, I, I appreciate this this little sequence in the in the side room where uh, she's like hiding behind stuff and finding the bodies. If just because I want more movies with a Jesus jump scare. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus falling out of the closet instead of like a cat. (laughs) Bless you, my daughter. (laughs) Oh my God. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Um, Before they eventually end up back in the, uh, the attic space uh, where he confesses. (laughs) I love, I love, I love that she goes through all that trouble to get away from. Him. She hides and manages to not scream when Jesus jumps at her, and when the corpse full of maggots dumps his mouthful of maggots all over her hand, <laughs> and manages to 
As soon as she gets out of the room that she just saw him left, Shoo! she immediately starts crying <laughs> and, and breathing really heavily. Like, no no attempt to hide her presence anymore whatsoever. Like, out of I guess that room. I'm glad that's over. I disappeared. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the, 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 so you get the, the, the behind him creeping up behind her with a, with a, with a knife. Uh, but this, this confession that, that she gets out of him gets the, the Cenobites to show back up again. And they, uh, hook, hook them back up to the old ball and chains. Um, yeah. <laughs> before, uh, his second improv of the movie, the, the long lick of his lips as he's about to be pulled apart and just saying, Jesus wept. Before his fucking brain explodes out of his head. <laughs> I liked I liked the the licking lips. That was the first time I saw uh, what I thought was like the 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 mix of pleasure and pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's uh, pretty. I, I, I just love that. It's like normally sort of like, oh, it's uh, sure is a, a bit of a mess out here. Jesus wept. <laughs> <laughs> the repurposing of that line because the original. I love Clive Barker, but the original line there was, fuck you. Huh. <laughs> I mean, I think Jesus wept is better. <laughs> so, yeah, fuck you is a, is a good first pass. It's a good... <laughs> let's table what? that one and come back to it. Do you, think, do you think it was written as, like, fuck with, like, 70 U's? <laughs> fuck you! He extends the middle finger on one hand, and then slowly the middle finger on the other hand comes into frame. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now we get this like the whole end sequence where they're they're trying to again, like you were saying, like, hey, uh, that's great and all, um, <laughs> you're still here. <laughs> they, should, they shouldn't have uh, destroyed that load bearing uncle. <laughs> Um, but she finds that, uh, Julia, uh, has, uh, Christy finds her in the other room that she had not died on the stairs, that she got the box and she's all hooked up to the chains and, and skinless on the bed. Um, is able to, to pry the box out of her hands as the, as the female Cenobite. Again, another effect I, I adore is the, has her like, um, hand blades, those curved blades she's carrying around is walking up the steps dragging it and making the walls of the house bleed. Yeah, that's good. Pretty, it's the good stuff. Um, and then maybe my favorite pinhead line as he comes up behind her. That we, we, I have was, such... <laughs> we have such sights. I thought you were yeah. going to say it was when she was solving the puzzle and he's like, don't do that! <laughs> <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> my favorite pinhead line. No, don't do it! <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, she, she starts solving the box again. Like you said, for a guy who's like on all the poster material and is like synonymous with the iconography of Hellraiser, just immediately just, well, it's step one of the box solved whoop, and he disappears in some, in some yellow yeah, like, lightning. Like he gets all the lines and stuff, but he doesn't do shit. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the female Cenobite, she is also, uh, dispersed with some more, clicks of the switch well, i do it i have a question do you think 
you probably won't be able to answer this. I, I, I bet you won't be able to answer this. Okay. Do you think that solving the puzzle in a, like, is a set order that you have to solve it in to just dis- disperse different centibytes, or is just whatever one's closest when you solve that particular part? Yeah, I think it's just, uh, we got these two in the same scene together, and it's just gonna, we're gonna, you point the thing at it, and you click it, and, they're, and then they're gone. Um, I was gonna say, it's pretty lucky that she had the right centibytes in the right room. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying there there's like there's like some Mega Man boss progression? <laughs> like I'm just saying like you know you, you turn this little clicky doohickey and that's Pinhead's button. <laughs> <laughs> you put your finger in your mouth and you do this, you make the chatterer go away. Exactly. Um, I think my favorite here is that uh, oh, uh, Steve shows up. Um, is, <laughs> is that the is that Butterball? All the other ones disappear, like, in the the, the, the stream of light. Butterball just gets, like, crushed by, like, a crumbling hallway. And he's like, oh, that's it for me. <laughs> I wrote down, oh, because like, he's all sneaking up and all, he's, like, raised his knife. And then Bubba gets knocked on the noggin. <laughs> he done bonked his head. <laughs> Which I, I think wasted opportunity in the sequels that they just don't, like, Come in and find him still there with like birds and stars twirling above his head. <laughs> a comically large lump with like a cross shaped bandage on it. <laughs> the the engineer shows back up again as they try to leave the door because of course it does. They're like, well, we opened the door into nothingness. Let's go. Ah! I think they open the door into nothingness and are excited to see that this nothingness. <laughs> like, yeah, we made it. Woo! Or I should say, Kirsty's excited. Boyfriend is mannequin. Before <laughs> <laughs> um, she's able to finally put the last piece together, so the last thing she does is is, is vanquish the, the the engineer. Um, and they decide to go to like the city burning garbage dump to get rid of yeah, this. At first, uh, at first, I thought this was like the remains of the house. I was like, that's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> The house is just reduced to discrete piles of burning rubble in this chair. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's just the, uh, you know, the the city burning rubbish pile. Yeah. Um, All cities have one, Josh. Where they, they, they throw the, the, the they throw the puzzle box into the fire, call it a day. But oh, who's that coming slinking out of the darkness? Yeah. Ray Mysterio. <laughs> Thunder kissing, 1965. Yeah. Joe makes a triumphant return. Um, and I don't know. I think this is a this was a last minute effect. If you were talking about like effects that don't like maybe hold up in the light of day, the the this movie being could skeleton have demon <laughs> easily been a part of Spawn. <laughs> like if John Leguizamo dissolved his clown form and turned into this, I would not have blinked. <laughs> we always gotta have our carry ending <laughs> every every time. Uh, this, I just this... didn't know that homeless guy was part of the mythos. <laughs> He's the most important part. Uh, he he apparently just flew it back to Marrakesh to give to the same guy. <laughs> the same... <laughs> That's, yeah, well, I mean, you know, Gremlins already did. The old guy comes to the house to pick it back up. Oh yeah, well maybe. Maybe that's what it, this the Rob Zombie like is just like a collections for that guy like it was a rental on that box it was not yeah. a sale. <laughs> Take it home, try it out, see what you think. <laughs> <laughs> it 
it's like a it's like a rent a center a rent to own sort of proposition. <laughs> I love the idea of comparing the lament configuration to a, like an easy boy. <laughs> or just trying out fucking like hello fresh or something like <laughs> if the like chains are not <laughs> they're not up to your specifications re- return it after the trial um no questions asked <laughs> we 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 done went went us through a through a hellraiser is there is there more stuff uh you want to talk about in this one? Or? I want to continue to talk about how unfazed this boyfriend is. <laughs> you have to mention it and you have to hammer on it because, good Lord, he walks into a house that is collapsing under its own weight, apparently. He sees hell beasts attacking his girlfriend? Yeah. I'm. It's unclear. The, the most reaction he has is to give her his jacket when she's a little cold out by the tire fire. <laughs> Steve is a guy who lets his perm do a lot of the thinking for him. <laughs> I, you can tell. <laughs> it's, got, it's gotten him this far. I'm, I'm like... <laughs> Between I'm that and the cigarette trick? <laughs> I'm genuinely curious, like, how her dad knew this guy. Like, why why this guy was there. <laughs> I assumed he was a, a child of one of the other uh, couples that was there. <laughs> Possibly, or like maybe their their wooden boy that came to life. I don't I don't know. Um, yeah, uh, Steve is very wisely in, in in part two. Just like at the very beginning of the movie, they're like, uh, "You're you're institutionalized in this hospital. We let your boyfriend go." <laughs> <laughs> everything seemed to check out with him we uh honestly we talked we looked into it but there's nothing there i mean literally <laughs> nothing <laughs> well we didn't we didn't mean to we just uh we took him out for a moment and we both we all just kind of forgot he was there and then <laughs> the hat blew off his head and <laughs> <laughs> all right so we've uh we've we've, we've gone through a hellraiser um so my, my, my pitch on this one, um, first of all, I think it's just, I can quibble with like l- the little funny details and just like the, the cursey plot not really tying together. I think it's a fucking great movie. I think it's like, uh, especially for a first time director, just, just how many wildly visionary ideas are just sort of like casually tossed out and made to work with, uh, a skill and intensity that like belies the budget by a lot here. Um, I think it's a, a pretty, pretty phenomenal. And it's, there's a reason that it like, it was, it also came out like in a time where like a lot of the other um, horror franchise movies were kind of leaning a bit more into comedy. Um, and this is a, this is a movie that took itself seriously. <laughs> I mean, like, up no. until big boy got it on the head. <laughs> doesn't mean there can't be any jokes in it. It's, it's just not, you know, it's not like this is around the same time that like Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and um, Jason Lives came out. So right. like that's sort of what like franchise horror was doing at the time. And there was just there was a lot more like, OK, we've done the scary stuff. Now let's do the goofy stuff. And I think this I is like I don't know why, but the image of Butterball in front of a brick wall with a stand up mic just popped <laughs> in my head and I. I think it's going to live there for a while. 
do you, do you think Butterball would do like a lot of material about how he's canceled? <laughs> I, I de- oh definitely definitely. <laughs> he, he's definitely someone who's going to make fun of people in the audience wearing masks. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think this is just uh, I I think it's Clive Barker's. It's my favorite of the three movies that he made by like a, a decent amount. I like I like Nightbreed quite a bit too, but um. I think it's kind of the one that gets the, the the closest to like really capturing that um that magic, especially like in this those scenes I was talking about, like the the Frank coming back to life scene and stuff. I could watch that on a loop. <laughs> it's yeah, it's yeah. so fucking phenomenal. Um but yeah, curious what you think since you hadn't really um seen any of his like at least directorial stuff. You've seen yeah. Candyman, but um where you're coming where you're at on this one. I- we talked about it a little bit like I was surprised at how little the Cenobites were in this, considering how central they are to like everything around the franchise. Yeah. Um, but I think I think you're right in that it does feel a lot like it makes sense that it feels like his work because it is his work. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's a pretty faithful translation from the uh, from the page to the screen. Mm-hmm. Like you have a lot of this almost almost boring day-to-day stuff that just has this weird, uh, like, not normal stuff going on in the background. Um, yeah, and I think that's really what a lot of his work is trying to show, is that there is, that it's not just, like, the weirdos who are coming to the S&M sex dungeons, that they're, yeah. like, you know, that there are people in polite society who are also in those just places. And, up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think um, just that, again, holding up the mirror to, yeah. to society in a lot of ways, um, but also yeah, th- really imaginative. I think, yeah, I think this is, I think this is a sale for me. I do not find it to be as, probably, probably as good of a movie as you do, but I think a lot of, the, like you you were talking about, the, like the visionary stuff and the visuals, and I think a lot of that, um, it carries a lot of weight. Um, it's, it's like, um, it's kind of like how I feel about Guillermo del Toro. Like, I feel like a lot of the ideas and the, and what you actually see on the screen make up a large portion of why you would enjoy the movie. Yeah. Not necessarily how coherent the story is or, uh, fully fleshed out the characters are. Hmm. I, I mean, not that I think, I think that it's terrible, but like, yeah, I mean, come on. The the boyfriend was awful. The the Kirsty stuff didn't matter until the very fucking end. But uh, I think the I think the core trio, the core drama of this movie, yes. the, the 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 Julia, the interplay Frank, between like, stuff. her being pulled between her her boring kind of a kind of a drip of a husband and this bad boy who clearly is giving her what she wants. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, he has a good understanding of, like, the, the human drama but that you kind of need to establish the stakes of before you get into, like, the rats pinned onto the wall-ness <laughs> of it all. Um, well, cool. So uh, I got this Crispin Glover Award for Acting Excellence here. Um, I think I got to hand this Steve. one. 
<laughs> for giving us the most material. That's what that's what it really should be. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna hand this one to uh, Andrew Robinson as the as as Larry and later on Frank really, especially because of that dual role because yeah. uh, he'd been typecast so much as being only the Frank that uh, being able to show that he can be the Larry first uh, makes that hit a little bit better at the end. I think he captures the um, the energy from the earlier performances and uh, puts, puts a little bit more sizzle on that stake. He puts the, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, I agree. hundred percent. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's really cool. The makeup too, where it's like his, his face just kind of barely hanging on and getting like scratched off. As I don't Kirsten's know why, I don't know why Kirsten didn't care about that at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, let's talk a little bit about a next time. Um, so we're gonna keep the uh, the Gooby Sex team in times going, um, and we're gonna we're gonna go on to Hellbound, Hellraiser Two. is actually my favorite film of the franchise. Um, I, I this one's uh, not directed by Clive Barker. Um, I, I story by credit. Um, it's the last one he was kind of involved with. Um, I I wonder if you will also be in the I'd say like between people who like one more and people who like two more it's kind of like seventy thirty I'm I'm in that thirty percent that likes two more I find it like more oh, epic well. <laughs> yeah so um I mean it may I think I think there there are some things like if you have more questions about like Cenobites and origins and stuff yeah. and want to see more of that mythology part of it I think this you might enjoy a bit more. Than this one, so yeah, yeah looking forward to doing that. Could be interesting. It could be awful. <laughs> yeah, you know, who knows? My track record is some of the spotty around that. This is going to be the, like the first time we've done a direct sequel back to back, right? Uh, we did. We did Shining and Doctor Sleep. We did do that. Yeah. Well, fuck me, I guess. Well, this is like within a year of each other, so maybe you know yeah. less less of a time jump than that, and like same, not all same principles, but at least some of the same principles all still involved. Sure. Yeah. So uh, before we move on to business stuff, is there anything you wanted to shout out, recommend? No. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I I will say I watched, I think it's just the first episode, unless another episode dropped today or when this airs, um, of uh, The Rehearsal. Um, I don't know if anybody has watched Nathan for you. Um, oh, this yeah, is, I've. I heard that he had a show. I haven't, I haven't checked it out yet. It's, um, I mean, you really have to be into like the kind of particular brand of like anxiety comedy that right. he does. If you've seen Nathan for you and like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is basically that it's, it's kind of a similar premise where he's like interjecting himself into people's lives. who have problems. Um, but instead of like trying to like save their business or come up with a business idea, He's trying to help them workshop uh, their problems by rehearsing every possible variation of what could happen. So, like, the first episode is a guy who um, is on a trivia team and has lied to some of the people that are on his trivia team that he has a master's degree when he doesn't. Um, and just the the lengths that the rehearsal process goes through and just, like, what he does to like keep up with every variable that's thrown at him 
it's staggering. It is like <laughs> he's a he's a he's a genius madman or both. So <laughs> that's, that's a fine line. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, on, on to business stuff. Um, please reach out to us. Facebook group is selling the scream um, on Facebook. Just uh, you have to answer our robot questions to get in. Twitter, we're at Scream Selling. Um, you can uh, email us at Selling the Scream at Gmail. Um, yeah, if you could potentially leave us a review on the uh, service of your choice, um, iTunes does drive the most traffic. Um, does say here in this latest um, iOS agreement that if if it just says for us uh, if that if our show is your pain then what's your pleasure, sir? So I don't, I don't know if you're supposed to what you're supposed to do with that information, but you know maybe answer that question. And... Oddly philosophical. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Until then, join us next time for the sequel for Hellbound Hellraiser Two. Bye. Bye.